evidence and answers. How do we effectively engage our culture for Christ today? In other words, how do we share our faith in a manner that others will receive it well and perhaps consider giving their heart to the Lord? There are many methods out there, but are we relevant to those around us? And if not, how can we be? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat is interviewing Greg Kokel, whose ministry, Stand to Reason, does precisely that provide guidance for sharing your faith and engaging our culture today. If you're unable to hear this entire broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now here's our host, Pat, with part two of his interview with Greg Kokel. So notice this is another way of relativizing our belief system to our group. Our group believes this. It's our truth, but we can't say it's the big capital T truth. So this is some of the philosophic background, but think of the appeal to that, to the individual. If we think back on the, on the fall, we think back in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve were offered the opportunity to be like God, right? Has God said? Has he really said? Is he really in charge? No, he's withholding from you. You can strike out on your own. So it's this hunger for personal autonomy, being our own people and being the masters of our own fate that I think was at the root of the fall and has been at the root of the rebellion ever since. So now when we have philosophies that are really popular and accepted in our culture that say, hey, there is no truth, you make your own truth. There's no right or wrong. You decide for yourself what's right or wrong. Oh my gosh. Did that sound appealing to me as an 18-year-old in the 60s? Absolutely. And it sounds appealing to people right now. So you have your philosophic history there, the development of these ideas. And there have been answers to those challenges, by the way. But in any event, people latched onto them largely, in part at least, because of their existential appeal. They allowed them to justify their own personal autonomy. And I know, I'll tell you for a fact, Pat, in the late 60s and early 70s, I knew that my own relativistic views were contradictory because I believed in moral relativism, but I was marching against the war in Vietnam because it was, huh, immoral. Hey, where'd that come from? You know, (laughs) the contradiction. However, I knew it was a contradiction. I was aware of that, but I thought, never mind. I don't care. I like the payoff. And the payoff was that I could do whatever I wanted to do. And that was the, the benefit for me. So you got both of those things that are going on in our culture right now, Pat. Yeah, well, Greg, you know, how do we effectively engage someone with the gospel for someone who says you cannot know reality or you cannot know truth? Well, I have a new book out, and it's called The Story of Reality, and I address that very question, you know. And, and I said, it's very, actually, it, it, we do know things, and we know that we know them, and there's a very simple way to demonstrate this. For example, you know, if you go to Washington, D.C., this is a terrible place to navigate, because it's, the city's laid out like, a, uh, like the spokes of a, a wheel, and the spokes are broken. <laughs> so you get lost real easily. It's crazy. But when I visited there, my family a couple of years ago, hey, uh, we got around just fine because of this incredible invention called a map. (laughs) Do you ever think about what you do when you use a map? A map is a claim about the way the world is. 
Mm. the topography in particular, or the highways, whatever. So we took the map, and we looked at the map, and we got in our rental car, and we did fine, okay? Now, maps aren't perfect, but if they're not perfect, we find out that soon enough. In other words, when we drive and arrive using the map, we are testing a claim of reality against reality itself. So it is possible to test to see whether our beliefs about the world are actually true. In this interview, Pat, you had a phone number to contact me so we can have our conversation. Well, there was a claim about the world that you engaged, and the claim was this particular number would connect you with Greg Kokel. <laughs> and so what did you do? You dialed the number, and yours truly answered. So I guess your belief that the phone number could get you in touch with me was a true belief because it did. These are very simple pedestrian examples to show that we test reality for its truth all the time. We are truth seekers by nature. We have tools that allow us to test reality and we're always using them. And in fact, if we couldn't know certain things to be true about the world, we would be dead in one day, I guarantee you. So there is no justification for this radical skepticism about truth. Now, of course, that doesn't mean you can know the meaning of the world and the meaning of life and the meaning of religion necessarily, but it ought to let us know that we have tools that could be used to figure these things out. And I don't know why it can't be applied to the bigger questions as much as it can be applied to the smaller issues of getting around town without getting lost. Yeah, you bring up a good point. You know, it's a self-contradictory position. I remember I was at, uh, I think, Cornell University, and I began speaking, and one guy immediately objective, and he said, well, you can't know reality. And then he began to explain how he knows Christianity is not true. <laughs> yeah, right. You know? And it was bombarded with all these questions and contradictions in the Bible. And I said, well, wait a minute. Didn't you just say we can't know reality? Yep. So why are you sitting here arguing with me if we can't <laughs> know reality here? What makes your reality true or mine's if we yep. can't know it? So he was... Like you said, uh, contradicting himself. There's a self-contradictory position. Yeah, that was an excellent response, and, uh, and it just goes to show how we can't help ourselves. Even when we claim there is no truth, we are claiming a truth. Mm -hmm. And then when we attack Christianity, we are trying to argue that that isn't true, and some other take on the world is actually true, even when we're saying there is no truth at all. So it's a wildly contradictory enterprise, and I find doing like you did, Pat, uh, pointing out that they're doing the very thing that they say we're not able to do is very powerful to show that they're just simply mistaken about the enterprise. Now, that doesn't mean that our views are true, but it shows that our views can't be faulted in that way. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. Also, you show that it's not livable consistently because we measure things by how it corresponds to the real world around us, like you that's did right. that map illustration. All right, Greg, you wrote a great book here, one of my favorites, called Tactics, which is designed uh -huh. to equip Christians to engage unbelievers, especially those who may be a bit more hostile to the gospel. Right. So tell us, when we confront someone who's hostile to our message, what is the wise way to respond yet still, like you said, leave that pebble in, in the shoe of the skeptic? Right. right. Well, let me give you a broad concept, and it comes right from Scripture. It comes from Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. And here's what Paul says there. He says, conduct yourself with wisdom 
towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Okay, so right out of the gates, he's saying, be smart. I mean, I just wonder how many times when we're starting an engagement with somebody else, we think in our mind, let's be smart here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait a minute, let me be smart. <laughs> I don't think we think that very often, and that includes me. But Paul says, be smart, okay? Then he says this, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt. In other words, be nice. Mm-hmm. How about that? <laughs> what a concept. Yeah. Be smart and be nice. And then he ends it by saying, so that you know how to respond to each person. So that you know how to respond to each person. Be smart, be nice, and be tactical. And this brings us to the whole tactical approach. Well, how do we know how to respond to each person? My initial impulse in virtually any situation that I have where I want to make a spiritual impact is I don't go either on the attack or I don't start in persuasion mode. That is, I'm not going to disqualify another person's view. Here's where you're wrong, and here's why you're wrong. Or I'm not going to say, here's where I'm right and why I'm right. Okay, both of those are really offensive ways of engaging people. Think about it. You know, nobody likes that approach. Yes. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start out in student mode. I am going to start gathering information. If I'm having in a conversation with somebody else, and they're, you know, they're, I meet them on the airplane or whatever, even if I go to an event and uh, I'm starting to talk to somebody who, who's hostile to my own view, I'm going to start gathering information. And the best way to do that is to ask questions. Now, I call this the Colombo tactic, named after Lieutenant Colombo of TV fame. And I know I got to reach back, what, four decades now to go back to Lieutenant <laughs> Colombo. But you'll be amazed at how many people, not just in the States, but all over the world, in my experience, know about Lieutenant Colombo. Wow. Who, you know, was able to solve his crime by asking innocent sounding questions. He doesn't come across like he's particularly bright. He doesn't come across very threatening, but he just starts drawing people out with questions. And that's the, in general, that's the way I approach it. And I'll be doing a whole session on how to powerfully use questions in a tactical approach when I come to the event there in Hawaii. Yeah. So instead of always being, you know, on our heels and being on the defense, you know, prove, you know, the skeptics saying, prove that, prove that, prove that. Mm -hmm. Instead, tactics allows us to be on the offensive. Instead, turn the tables and ask them some key questions. Yeah. For example, let's say if somebody says, well, I'm an atheist, you know, because I'm talking about Christianity. Well, I'm an atheist. Well, now what? now Now it's my turn to say something. And so I ask, what kind of atheist are you? All right. Now it's his turn. I bet he's never even given any thought to the idea that there are different kinds of atheists. Right. But there are. Oh, well, what, what, you know, okay, well, now it's his turn. What do you mean? I said, what kind? And then I might itemize them if they, if he doesn't know, but then I say, but you're an atheist, right? Yeah. Why? (laughs) Why are you an atheist? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not being belligerent. I'm curious. Give me an education. Tell me all about it. Why are you an atheist? And who knows what they're going to say? But what I'm going to do is keep offering the questions to get clarification and let them talk. And every time they say something, one of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to give me information that I need to know to be able to proceed, or they're going to not be able to give me information, which means they're going to be stumped about their own view. Okay. And if they give me information, they might say, well, I have no good reason to believe God exists. Okay. I understand. That's a fair response. So I presume then you have 
considered some of the arguments and found them wanting. So what arguments in favor of God have you considered? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm waiting. Mm-hmm. Okay, oh, what was wrong with that argument? If he tells me oh, I, I, this argument, well, then what was wrong with that argument? Notice how it, all this time, all I'm doing is asking friendly questions, trying to get that person's point of view, and letting them preach it, brother, preach it. <laughs> but I am gathering information all the time. There's no pressure on me, and there's no offense in the conversation. Why would that guy be offended when I'm letting him do the talking to explain his view? Why right. would he get bugged? Right. Yeah. And so I, I think that little example there with atheist Pat, will give people a little picture of how this could go, how fruitful this could be. People say, well, you're pushing your morality on me. Really? How am I pushing my morality on you? Well, you think you're right, and you think others are wrong. I do think I'm right, but I could be wrong. I'm willing to talk about what, what about your view? Do you think your view is right? <laughs> What's he going to say? He's not going to say, oh, I think my view is wrong. No, of course he thinks his view is right. right. And I say, well, if you think your view is right, then why are you pushing it on me right now? Yeah. That's another question. So they're doing the same thing that I'm doing, telling their view and thinking it's true and arguing for it. Actually, I'm not trying to push anybody's view. I'm, my view, I'm just trying to explain my view and give reasons for it. People can decide for themselves what they want. But if his complaint is that I think I'm right, well, of course I think I'm right. That's why I believe what I believe. If I didn't believe that what I believed was true, I wouldn't believe it. I'd believe something else and believe that was true, you know. But I'm just like him in that regard. He has the same thing. All of his beliefs, he thinks his beliefs are true, which is why he's correcting me, all right? So notice that all of these kinds of challenges that I've just offered, I've navigated on using questions. And this is an unbelievably powerful technique. This is why so many people have told me that when they got the tactics book and read it and began practicing it, it changed everything for them. It changed everything for them. Now, at the conference that we'll be doing, I I won't have time to get into the whole book, but I will lay a foundation. I'll give you a promise right now uh, with regard to tactics that uh, I'm making to the audience right now, and I'll reiterate it when when I get there standing before them. I promise that I will give them a game plan that will allow them to converse with confidence in any situation, no matter how little they know or how knowledgeable or aggressive or even obnoxious the other person happens to be. That's my promise, and I promise I will fulfill my promise at the conference. <laughs> yeah. That's the tactical approach. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of the things I like about tactics, I mean, one of the best ways we learn is self-discovery, you know, discovering it for ourselves. Yes. And often the tactics, by asking these questions, you get the person to really analyze what he really believes, maybe for the first time, no one's ever questioned him. And then he comes to the realization, well, maybe there's not much there, or Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's not as convincing as I thought it was, or or, for the first time I see a contradiction, and they come to that realization themselves, then they're a little bit more open to hearing what you have to say. Yeah, you know, I like your phraseology there, Pat. They're a little bit more open. You see, that is all I'm after. I'm not trying to close the deal. I'm not swinging for the fences. I'm not even trying to get them base. I just want to get up in the batter's box and then see what God does. And if I can just put that stone in their shoe, if I can get them thinking, if I can annoy them in a good way, then I'm happy. I'm a happy camper, even if I don't close the deal. I'm just doing gardening, as uh, I like to explain. Harvesting comes after the gardening's been done. So there needs to be a whole lot of gardeners in the field before the harvesters get the harvest. I'm happy to be a gardener, and I think that most Christians are gardeners. They just don't know how to do it. 
And this conference that we're going to do to get to do together will help them to learn how to do good gardening. It takes the pressure off. Believe yeah. me. Yeah, you know, I use it all the time. Uh, one example recently, I was talking to a very devout Buddhist, and he was explaining to me about reality and what happens after death and all of this. He went on for about 10, 15 minutes, and then, you know, I asked him one of the questions, you mm-hmm. know, how do you know that's true? Right. How do you, and he thought about it for a while. And no one had ever asked him that before. And he said, well, I guess, I guess it's just faith. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean by faith? I mean, faith in what? Right. And he was kind of stuck there. And then he looked at me and said, well, how do you know what you believe is true? And there you go. There was an open door. Thank you for asking. Right. You know, and so <laughs> that's how the tactics was able to really get me into it. Yeah. Really well, I give you discussion. an A there. The teacher yeah. gives you a star, man. Good job. Yeah. Well, Greg, you know, what are some common traps that Christians fall into when sharing with a, a skeptic who may be a little hostile? I think the biggest trap that a lot of Christians fall into, I'm thinking about it now, it's a good question. I actually never thought, of, I've never been asked that question before, but it, the answer seems to be pretty obvious to me. And that is, we do something that other people often do to us, that I actually teach in the book on tactics, how to defend against. It's called the steamroller tactic, when people are steamrollers on us. That is, they don't listen, they don't pay attention, they just keep interrupting, and they fire one thought after another thought after another thought, and a challenge after a challenge. And so they're happy to give you all these challenges. They are not happy to listen to the answer. And boy, those are tough people to deal with, and I talk about a very precise way of dealing with them that I found very effective. However, Christians are sometimes steamrollers themselves. So we find ourselves... But, 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 you know, trying to jump in in the middle of somebody else's sentence, we start interrupting them, and then, what, things start getting heated up. And look, at, I have a rule. Here's my rule. If I get angry, I lose. <laughs> okay? If I'm in a conversation with somebody else, and I get mad, and it's obvious I'm kind of getting worked up, I lose. I don't sound persuasive then. I don't look attractive then. I just look belligerent, all right? So I want to make sure I don't get angry. Now, what happens if the other person gets angry? That is, if you're cool and calm and collected, but something, the way you're acting or whatever gets them angry, all right, if the other person gets angry, I lose. In other words, if anybody in the conversation that I'm having gets angry, boy, I'm going to lose. I'm not going to be able to have an impact because when other people are angry, they are not listening. They are not open to being persuaded. So I'm going to try to do, and I'm not you know, perfect at this. I, I'm still growing myself. But I'm going to try to do everything that I can to not only keep cool, calm, and collected myself, but help the other person to keep cool, calm, and collected. Help the other person to be gracious and easygoing in the process as well. And, and, and give them a plenty of time to talk when it's their turn. I don't want to be interrupting them. I want to listen carefully. And by the way, if I'm interrupting, I'm not listening. And if I'm not listening, I'm not learning. And if I'm not learning, I don't know how to approach this particular person so that you know how to respond to each person. That's what Paul said. And so I would say probably the biggest problem that Christians run into in their engagement style is they just get too worked up and they start interrupting. They become steamrollers themselves, and that's a big mistake. Yeah, you know, and Greg, uh, one of the things about evangelism, as you mentioned, which is really helpful for many of us Christians, is that you don't have to hit the home run every time. Sometimes if you just get the person to question what they believe now, maybe for the first time, you've done a great job. You said, like you said, you put the pebble in the shoe. Now he's going to start thinking about it. 
You know, why is it? Do I really believe this? Yeah. You know, yeah. wait a minute. There isn't the substance I thought there was. So if you just, you know, I say evangelism is getting the person one step closer uh-huh. to coming to Christ. Yeah. So if you get them to start questioning their belief, you brought them one step closer. Yeah. Well, listen, you know, I, you said uh, something, you're, I completely agree with you. But what you said is you don't have to hit homers all the time. My view is you don't have to ever hit a homer. That is, to be a player on the team, there are going to be home run hitters in our team. It doesn't have to be me. And if you think about it, if you were a baseball coach or manager or whatever, or if I was, I would rather have a person that could get up to base and hit singles or doubles every time up than to hit roll home runs and fan the rest of the time. I want the steady hitter. I want the steady Eddie, so to speak. And if we calm down and just start making a contribution in our conversations and just, you know, get up to base, and that's what the tactical game plan will allow you to do, and then let God determine whether you get singles or doubles or homers, but just focus in on just getting on base, if nothing else. Then all the rest will take care of itself, trust me. And the pressure will be off. Yeah. You know, I think a good example is your debate with Michael Shermer. And for those of you who don't know who Michael Shermer is, he's the editor of Skeptic Magazine. He's a very hostile, I would say angry guy, and a very uh, hostile skeptic of Christianity. And going into the to that debate. What was your goal? I mean, obviously you weren't going to lead them to Christ there in the debate. No, so in a debate situation. In a yeah, guy in a like situa- that, you're not going to lead to Christ right away. So what was no, your strategy I, there? I actually don't have any expectation of a guy like Michael Shermer coming to Christ. He actually does have a former Christian testimony and he was deconverted. I mean, this mm-hmm. is every single time he debates, this is yeah. what he says. But in a circumstance like that, my goal is not to persuade the person I'm talking with. My goal is to get people thinking who are listening in. It's just to get them thinking who are listening in, and and they will be more influenced by what I have to say if I'm being thoughtful and gracious in the process, okay? And then, you know, let, let God do what he wants to do. That doesn't mean that the hardened skeptic, like I think Michael Shermer is, will never come to Christ. That's God's business. He can do whatever he wants. Look at what he did with the Apostle Paul. Look at what he did with each of us, you know? Mm-hmm. But by the same token, I'm not measuring my success by how well he gets influenced. And I, I've had friends who have debated big names, and they said, I, I want to treat him as a human being and yearn for his soul and try to persuade him to be a Christian. And I, well, treat him like a human being and be sad for his soul, but worry about the other people who are a lot more open that are listening in and what they're thinking and what their needs might be and address those and use the debate format or the conversation, this public engagement, as a foil for communicating most effectively with everybody else. Those are going to be the people that are going to be more easy to reach, I think, in my opinion. You've been listening to our interview with Greg Kokel, founder and president of Stand to Reason, a ministry designed to train Christians to think more clearly about their faith and make an even-handed, incisive, yet gracious defense of their faith in Christ in the public square. Well, Greg, you know, people have been listening to this interview. Where can they find more information about your ministry and the things we talked about today? 
Well, the organization that I represent is called Stand to Reason, and uh, I founded it 20, almost 24 years ago. And uh, we have a website that has thousands of pages of information. We have hundreds of uh, little video vignettes. We have all kinds of training tools. People can get my own radio show there, and they can podcast it. I've been doing radio, talk radio, call-in talk radio for 27 years now. And they can download our apps. They can get our free monthly training materials called Solid Ground and the mentoring letter that I write. So that's the best place to go. And they can also get not only the tactics book that we've been talking about, but the brand new book that I wrote this last year that just came out three days ago at at this broadcast here. And the title of that book is The Story of Reality. And the subtitle is How the World Began, How It Ends, and Everything Important That Happens in Between. So Dan DeReason's website, str.org, that's the epicenter for everything that we do. Yes. And that brand new book, I can tell you, you can get it. If you come to our Evidence and Answers Annual Conference here, if you come, you can get there. In fact, you'll even autograph it, I bet. I'd be glad to, of course. Greg Kokel will be our featured speaker here at the Evidence and Answers Conference. So, Greg, great talking to you, and we look forward to having you here in Hawaii at our conference. Well, I'm looking forward to it too, Pat. It's going to be a great time, and I look forward to meeting all the the people that will be showing up. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources available to you including articles, Pat's books, and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Please be sure to share our website with your family, your friends, and your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.